We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. Today's episode is sponsored by Marketing Edge, a national nonprofit committed to shaping the future of marketing leadership by connecting students, academics, and professionals to the resources and relationships they need to see, move, and stay ahead. Today joining us is Ashanti Golar, who's the president of Emerge and founder of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics. Let's jump in and get to know Ashanti. Ashanti, welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Uh, We're thrilled you're here. We're super thrilled. We know that you've got a lot going on these days. Excited to hear about all the work you're doing and also excited to learn a little bit about you. Ashanti, where were you born and raised? Tell us a little bit about growing up. So I am one of those people who was actually born and raised in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yes, those people actually exist. (laughs) (laughs) But I've been living out in D.C. since 2008. I moved out here for a job. It was my very first big girl job in politics, as I like to call it, at the Democratic National Committee. Mm -hmm. And I've just been out here ever since. I'm in my second year as president of Emerge. I am just honored to be the first Black woman to lead this organization. And we are going into our third year of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics, which I founded in 2018. That's awesome. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Emerge and work and everything else here shortly, but I'm fascinated. Las Vegas, very different from D.C. What was that like growing up there? Tell us about your family and what it was like growing up in in Las Vegas and, and a little bit about your family. Well, what I love about Las Vegas is no allergies. Only got allergies <laughs> when I moved to DC. So I am missing home right now. Yeah. Listeners, if you're like, that girl sounds a little odd, it's my allergies because it's allergy season out here. It really is. But with my family, I actually didn't come from a very political family. They voted. That was it. And how my political journey started is one day I was just watching TV with my mom. She got up from the couch. I do what kids do. I turn the TV to what I wanted to watch. And then that's when I discovered some coverage of C-SPAN. And I was like, what's this? I was just so intrigued by all of these people who were arguing and fighting about how to make our country better. And I was just very fascinated by this thing called politics. I didn't know what it was called at the time, but I knew that I liked this. But even at that young age, I realized I didn't see a lot of people that look like me, not a lot of people of color, not a lot of women. So even as I learned more about politics and even looking around Las Vegas, looking around the state of Nevada, I still never knew if politics was for me just because I didn't see a lot of people that look like me. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to high school, I had that amazing government teacher, Mrs. King, And she just knew everybody who was anybody in politics. And there was a very hot Senate race happening. And she brought in both of the candidates. My issue was the minimum wage. I worked a part-time job to have extra money. I had friends that worked part-time jobs to have extra money to help support their family. I obviously thought we should be making more money. So I asked the one candidate, what is your position on the minimum wage? He said, I'm all about raising it. I was like, fabulous. Love you. Mm-hmm. The other candidate, he was the congressman at the time. And I asked him why he voted not to raise the minimum wage. And he said, oh, no, I did vote to raise it. I was like, you didn't. He said, I did. 
like you didn't. And he kept arguing back and forth with me. I'm like, sir, I can check your votes. You did not vote to raise the minimum wage. And he told me I didn't know what I was talking about. Mm. So being a high school student, I was like, you know what? You're not that hot. Your tie is ugly. I hope you lose. (laughs) And he was just like offended. (laughs) So afterwards, my teacher called me over. I'm like, oh man, I'm in trouble now. Mm. But he actually snuck in a call to her and had said, you know, she's right. I didn't vote to raise it. I just didn't like the fact that she called me out. And I was offended. And I was like, is it because I'm young? Because I'm a girl? Because I can't vote? And all of those things were true. I was young. I was a girl. I couldn't vote. But I knew I could volunteer. Mm -hmm. So I volunteered for his opponent every free second that I had. And his opponent ended up winning that race by less than 500 votes. And that taught me the power that we all have in politics. No matter our gender, no matter our age, we are able to participate in some way. And just from then on, I just became completely just enamored in politics, was able to have a career in politics. It wasn't until 2008 that my family actually really started paying attention. Mm -hmm. And that's when Obama ran. Mm -hmm. And by then, I was just like, can you all go back to not liking politics? Because y'all calling me all the time, asking me these questions. Oh my gosh, I think I liked it better when (laughs) you really did care so much. But that's how... My journey started and nieces and nephews who love watching MSBC and they love politics too. Mm, Ashanti, I mean, watching C-SPAN and loving it, enjoying it, you're definitely in the right line of work then. Not many love a a good uh, long session at C-SPAN. That's awesome. (laughs) I was one of those really weird kids and Whenever I do C-SPAN now, that's the question they love to ask. So how did you get involved? Where did your love politics come from? And I always tell that story. And it always ends up being the clip that they choose to put on their website. You know, I want to ask you a little bit about your career. Political appointee under the Obama administration, political strategist, grassroots organizer, activist for women and communities of color. Tell us about how all that, you know, even ties into like what you're doing today at Emerge. All of that really led me to the path that I'm on as the president of Emerge. At the end of the day, I'm an organizer. I love working in our communities. I love working to create change. And that's what I get to do every day at Emerge. We focus on recruiting and training women to run for office. We currently have a thousand of our alums who are in elected office including Deb Holland, who is the Secretary of the Interior and the first Indigenous Cabinet Secretary. We have Emerge Alums in Congress, including Lucy McBath. If her name sounds familiar, her son is Jordan Davis. He was a young man who was shot and killed for playing loud music in his car. Afterwards, she became an activist, and I had a conversation with her about running for office. And now she sits in Congress and oversees the committee that actually gets to introduce legislation around gun violence prevention. We have alums that are secretaries of state, that are in state houses, that are on water boards. And these are all women that are not only changing their communities, but they're really just changing the face of politics in this country. There's 520,000 elected offices in this country. Women were 51% of the population. We don't occupy 51% of those offices. 
men still occupy 75%. So we still have a long way to go. Mm. And especially over the past year, when I like to say we're facing two pandemics, the COVID pandemic, the racial injustice pandemic, it's been wonderful to see how these women have led their communities around these issues that are really moving our country forward. So I'm just very blessed that this is what I get to do every day. Mm. And Ashanti, I mean, hopefully at, at some point we will get out of this pandemic and return to some sense of normalcy. What do you see as the future for Emerge? I'm very excited for the future of Emerge. Last year, we celebrated 15 years and our strategic plan is called Emerge 2035. We just went big and bold. I said, let's plan for the next 15. And a huge part of that is focusing on recruiting and training women of the new American majority. And that is Black, Brown, and Indigenous women, women of color, young women, unmarried women, LGBTQ women. And we want to train 100,000 of those women. And we are continuing to see lots of women who are stepping up and wanting to run for office and lead their country. We're going to be focusing on advanced candidate training, because with a thousand alums in office, so many of them are ready for higher office, but also making sure that they're reaching back and recruiting an emerge sister to run for their seat when they do run for higher office. Because if they don't do that, then we don't make progress. Mm -hmm. And the third piece is continue to do what we do best and that's repowering political structures. If you look at the top 10 states that have the most women in their state houses, Emerge has affiliates in nine out of 10 of those states. If you look at the top four states that are majority women, which are Nevada, my home state, Colorado, New Mexico, and Oregon, Emerge alums help make that happen. So I'm very excited about the future. And I tell people, we're just getting started. There's so much work to be done. And I'm just proud to lead this amazing team and network. Exciting times ahead. Exciting times ahead. Earlier on, if I heard you correctly, I think you mentioned that you were the first Black woman president at Emerge. And if I heard you correctly, I'm curious to understand from you if you feel an extra sense of responsibility, if you will, for for being the first. Eric and I talk a lot about that in our particular industries of, you know, sometimes being the only one in the room or or being the first. And so I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. I mean, the answer is absolutely. I think we all know there's just a difference. Even though everyone is very supportive of you, you do feel that weight because you do want to do a good job. You want to lead your team well. You want to lead the organization well. You want to make your donors happy. You want your alums to love the training. There absolutely is that huge weight that is on your shoulders. And I literally took over in my role right when the pandemic hit. And I was just like, oh my goodness, Mm. this is going to be interesting, especially because at Emerge, one of the things that makes us so special is we do in-person training and all of that got taken away from us. Mm. So I had to switch us to be a virtual organization. So what does that look like for an organization that is just so focused on the connections that you make in person? Mm. So we had to switch to a virtual environment. All of our fundraising became online, but we were able to do it. And despite everything, 
2020 was the most successful year that our organization had. So I think it also is just a testament to when you are the first, that doesn't have to be a bad thing. Mm. That there are those great elements, those fresh elements that we're able to bring to the table, even in the midst of unprecedented times. Because there is no playbook on how to lead your organization during a pandemic. And, you know, I said that to the team one time. I was like, I do not get to go, okay, entry the second year of the pandemic. Let me pick up volume two of the handbook. Doesn't work that way. You really have to figure this out. And you're figuring it out with every other person who's leading an organization. Because nobody knows. And I think this is a good time to mention the fact that I'm so lucky to be leading during a time when there are more Black women who are leading organizations that I was able to turn to for support. We just have a great network of support system. And I'm just thankful for them. So even though you're doing it alone, I wasn't fully alone because I was able to turn to them. And as a leader, what have you learned during the pandemic that you will continue to carry forward in your career? Oh, I have learned so much. I think the biggest thing is you just got to go with your gut sometimes because that's really what it was every day last year, even this year, is just going with your gut and feeling confident that you're going to make the right decision for your organization and just sticking with it. Mm. I think that is definitely the biggest thing that I learned, just to trust your gut, trust your intuition, And that when your team believes in you, they'll follow you. And when they know that you feel it's right, they'll also think that it's right. And they'll work with you to make it happen. Gotcha. You are also a podcast host yourself. Tell us a little bit about the Brown Girl's Guide to Politics. Yes. So the podcast came about because of a post that we had on the blog that was about being the only brown girl in the room be the first, be the only, and myself and the other contributors on the Brown Girls Guide to Politics blog talked about, okay, this is what it's like to be the only woman of color in a room when people say the most messed up, inappropriate things and how we navigated it in our career. Because again, even in 2021, there are still so many firsts. And there's going to be lots of firsts down the road. And we really wanted to give other women of color who did just have to be in politics or in any other industry, just some advice about how we were able to navigate the situation. And when we did that series, we had so many women email us saying, we want more of these conversations. We actually want to hear you talk about this. And that was the catalyst to create the podcast which was started in 2019 for us to take the stories from the blog to an audio format and really have those conversations that aren't happening Mm -hmm. about what it is truly like to be a woman of color who's an elected official, who's a candidate, who's campaign staff, who's leading an organization, who's running a nonprofit, and all the things that you have to deal with on a daily basis to try to make this change that is so needed in our communities, so needed in the world. 
and that it's not super easy. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, for them to realize they're not alone and yeah. to pick up some great tips and advice on how to navigate this crazy world as a woman of color of leadership. Mm-hmm. Ashanti, I want to ask you, because you work in politics and you work in an environment where earlier you shared some simple yet powerful statistics about even being a, just a woman, let alone a woman of color, you know, you're a minority in that sense there. How have you handled those issues of discrimination when you've been faced with them? I know your podcast, you get to cover, you know, how others sort of manage that. I want to ask you about your personal experiences. How have you handled some of those issues of discrimination? I'm, I'm sure they've happened several times. Yeah, they absolutely have happened. It is just a part of the lived experience of just being a woman of color in politics. Mm -hmm. And I could tie this together nicely back to C-SPAN. I did C-SPAN over the weekend. They had me on to talk about Emerge, the Brown Girls Guide to Politics. And every single caller was a man Mm -hmm. who was mad about women being in elected office, me talking about race. And it was 45 minutes to be fielding angry male callers. Mm. And the way C-SPAN is set up is I only saw myself. So I didn't see the host. I didn't see anything. So I didn't know how anything was going. But I was just answering these questions, just answering these questions. And I was just like, oh my gosh, are any women going to call in? I'm Mm. like, nope. Here's a guy who's literally saying that women are incapable of serving in Congress. They make bad decisions. Here's the guy who say that black women mayors of major cities are ruining those cities. Here's a guy who say that we just need to stop seeing race. And I just need to stop talking about it so we can get over it. Then there was a guy who was asking me, what do I think about Candace Owens? And I'm like, what? I don't know where that one came from. Mm. That has to be hard, Ashanti. How did you and where did you learn the ability to shield yourself or, or, or almost sort of, you know, rise above that. Was that from your family or friends or how do you learn that ability? I've had great mentors, especially the color girls. And that's Donna Brazil, Bayon Moore, Bishop, Leah Daughtry, Yolanda Carraway. I learned by, by watching them mm. and just other strong, especially strong black women in politics. But even when I say that, you know, oh, here's these strong black women. The fact is, I know there's so much behind that because mm-hmm. now I see and I experience what they've had to deal with on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So this is why, especially within for Baltimore City, wanted to make his comment about black women mayors really major cities. There was no way I was going to let him get away with that comment, mm-hmm. like at all. First of all, there's less than 10 Black women that are mayors of major cities. So let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. So if you're feeling all of these major cities are being ruined, then they're actually being ruined by non-Black women. And you're not going to take away their hard work. They had to beat people in a primary. They had to win that general election. They had to raise money. They had to convince voters. They had to deal with racism, sexism, and misogyny on a daily basis to win those seats. And you're just not going to boil it down to, 
oh, people only put them there because of their sex and their gender. I mean, the color of their skin and their gender. Mm -hmm. It's not like people just woke up one day and said, I think we need to put a black woman in as mayor. That's what we're going to do. Exactly. It takes so much for them to get there. Mm -hmm. And after the interview, I did a post and I was just like, why are these men just so mad on a Saturday at 8 a.m.? Like, if anything, I realized that people are like, oh, Shanti, it's okay. Keep doing it. We support you. And I wasn't upset or anything. I was like completely unfazed by the questions because I was just so used to it. Mm-hmm. And that's terrible. And that's, that's the terrible part. Yeah, like yeah. I was just so used to it. I was ready for the questions because this is what I deal with. Mm-hmm. And you just have to learn that, especially when you're trying to make change, especially in politics, this is what you're going to have to deal with. I tell our alums and just other women in general who are thinking about running for our office, who want to get involved in politics. We are playing in a system that was not built for us. This system was built for straight white men. So they never anticipated the political participation of people of color or women. So whenever we show up in any political space, we are evidence that we have disrupted this system. And here I am as the black woman leading this organization to get more women into elected office, letting you know, I'm here to disrupt it some more. That causes some people to lose their damn mind and just show their ass at 8 a.m. on C-SPAN. Right. That's unfortunately what you have to deal with to make this change. But I also realized for so many people That was their first time actually seeing that. Mm -hmm. They hear me talk about it. They hear me talk about the racism, the sexism, the misogyny, but they actually got to see it play out live. And they Mm -hmm. were just like, oh my gosh, what you all do is really hard. And when women step up to run for office, they are really putting themselves out there. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. It was really a peek into my daily life. Yeah. Tremendous insights and thank you for sharing, you know, your personal experiences and your, your personal accounts there. Thank you very much for that. Curious, you're on C-SPAN at eight in the morning. You're the president of Emerge. You have a busy podcast. What's work-life balance for you? Is there such a thing? Is it, is it maybe not a thing? What's that like for you? Well, I'm one of those people right now who's like, living where you work. So that's what I call (laughs) working from home. Mm -hmm. So last year I had my office downstairs and I just kept it down there because people are like, oh, your background is so nice. I'm like, okay, great. And I moved it, you know, upstairs (laughs) this year because I'm like, okay, year two, need a different setup. But it is hard. And this is why I say it's so important to have that good network of friends. They will just be like, are you at your desk? Like, have you eaten lunch? 
have you gone outside? I'm like, y'all know I ain't gone outside with these allergies. I don't even know why you did me that. <laughs> Didn't you know these cherry blossoms are out? <laughs> <laughs> no. Ashanti has not gone outside, does not plan to. But to have those friends who check in on you. But I will say this year, I am so much better about taking care of myself than last year. Because I will admit, last year was just awful. Like, I just become president of Emerge. You're working from home. You're just trying to figure all of this out. Like, I was doing my budget at the end of the year. And I was like, you spent how much on DoorDash? Oh, my goodness. You should have done some stuff. You know, there's a ketchup but, package shortage, Ashanti. You know Did you see I, that? I may have something to do with that. It's a condiment crisis. <laughs> but, you know, this year, I'm, you know, very much more intentional about it. You know, just found some really great vitamins. So I got my vitamin routine. Like every morning, I wake up a little bit earlier just so I, I can just enjoy my coffee. Like, check email, but not in a stressful situation. I really stopped watching a lot of TV just after 2016. Mm -hmm. I was just one of those people who was just distraught with the election. So I started just watching a lot of YouTube. So YouTube is my favorite thing. And I love supporting a lot of the Black women influencers, even though every time I watch one of their videos, I buy something I don't need, but they are very, very good at what Mm -hmm. they do. So that's how I learned to do the balance. I'm much better this year than last year, though. And I will admit that. What are some of your favorite YouTube channels? Oh, my goodness. The queen, of course, Jackie Ida. Absolutely love her. She's the best. I love Andrea Renee. I love Alyssa Ashley and her sister, Arnell Armand. Those ones are my absolute favorites. Nice, nice. Where do you draw inspiration from? Where I draw inspiration is really from the women who are making change. Even though Twitter, you never know what you're going to get when you log on. Mm. I just love seeing articles about Tashara Jones, the first Black woman mayor of St. Louis. I love watching Latasha Brown, What Black Voters Matters Fund, who has just created a new initiative to raise $100 billion to support Black women and girls. I love seeing women who are declaring their candidacy. I love international politics where there's women who are leading these countries and doing a big up job. That's really where I draw the inspiration from. These women who I know are getting up every day and doing great work in the face of adversity. They really are the ones that inspire me. And last year, people would ask me all the time what keeps me going. And I would say it's our emergulums. The fact that these women are still running for office in the middle of a pandemic, holding down a job, doing homeschooling, like they are what inspire me. Mm. What advice would you give to any woman that's out there that's thinking about getting into politics? Just do it. Absolutely just do it. If I did do it, I wouldn't be here. And I'm just so thankful for all those women who saw things in myself that I did see and believed in me because they are absolutely why I'm here. And even though I don't know all of these women, you have to know that there are people that are rooting for you and are out there and want for you to succeed. And there's just so many avenues to be involved in politics. 
I started off as a volunteer. If you would have told me when I was out there learning how to canvas, how to phone bake, that I'd be leading a national organization, I would have absolutely laughed at you. I'm like, no, I'm just trying to keep these packets in order because this stuff got me really confused. (laughs) So you can do things such as just be the activist. We need, especially more Black women, is see your campaign roles. That is really important, especially if these candidates want to have policies that are inclusive of our communities. And you can be the candidate yourself. There are an array of opportunities. And on the BGG website, we have Brown Girl Friendly Organizations, where we list an array of organizations that women of color can reach out to to get involved with. And that's activists, campaign training, or to be a candidate. Love it. Love it. All right. Fun question, Ashanti, that I love asking every guest that we have on the podcast, which is to give us the top three apps that you use on your phone, but you can't name email, calendar, or text messaging. Okay. So definitely Twitter, for sure, will be the top one. My other one will be Maps because your girl has no sense of direction at all. (laughs) (laughs) I I owe that. Everyone's all like, we're going out. Ashanti's not driving. I'm like, you're damn straight I ain't driving. (laughs) It's tricky getting around D.C. It's tricky. (laughs) It it is. And also, I'm from like Las Vegas. We didn't have to parallel park. I parallel parked once to pass my driver's test. And then I'm getting out here and I have to do it once a day. I'm like, oh my gosh, I was so stressed. I was so stressed, y'all. That's why I moved to Virginia. I'm like, I need a parking spot. I can't keep doing this. And I love astrology. So Channy Nicholas's new app, Channy app, is my other app that I use. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thanks again, Ashanti, for joining us. And a lot of our listeners like to stay in touch, follow, and reach out. What are some ways that our listeners can follow you and stay in touch? Oh, thanks for asking that. I am on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ashanti Golar. And the BGG website is thebgguide.com. And we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the BG Guide. And for Emerge is at emergeamerica.org. And the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube is Emerge America. Excellent. All right. A couple of closing messages. So listen up. First, thanks to our friends again at Marketing Edge for sponsoring our podcast. And also, thank you to all the readers and Adweek for nominating Minority Report podcast with Eric and Carell to be part of the selection for Diversity Advocates of the Year. We thank you kindly, and there's a lot of time to vote, and we're excited to be a part of the mix. And thank you very much for your continued support, and we look forward to seeing who the winner is. So thank you very much, Adweek, and thanks again to Marketing Edge. Thanks, Ashanti. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed this conversation. 